Welcome to this conversation in process. I'm Jay McDaniel, editor of a website called Open Horizons. This conversation is sponsored by Open Horizons and also by the Cobb Institute, a community for process and practice. Open Horizons and the Cobb Institute have similar aims. One of our aims is to understand and explore a process outlook on life with its emphasis on interbecoming, the intrinsic value of all life, the presence of fresh possibilities, even in times of trial, and the need to create communities that are creative and compassionate and participatory, humane to animals and good for the earth with no one left behind. Another of our aims, however, is to learn from people that practice what we call the process way, even if they're not especially interested in the process outlook. One of the practices of the process way is to listen. It's to learn from people. It's to be humble in the presence of others and realize they may have wisdom we lack. So in these conversations, we'll be talking to some people who know a lot about the process outlook and some who know very little, but who practice in ways that we want to learn from. Well, welcome to Conversations in Process. I'm delighted to have Oluwatomisin Oredain with us today. Uh, I first met her a couple of years ago at a conference sponsored by the Arts, Religion, and Culture Collective. Um, she read her poetry and it was absolutely beautiful. And I hope that she'll read a little for us today as soon as I finish this introduction, then we'll just start talking. But I'll tell you how she's described in the webpage for the Arts, Religion, and Culture Collective. She is an American African who feels most alive when she lets herself be curious and creative. She explores this in her profession as a divinity school professor at Bright Divinity School in Fort Worth and in her work as an artist. Within academia, she focuses on doing theology as creatively as possible and with African women in heart and mind. Her creative work, whether poetry, creative writing, music, or visual art, expresses and interrogates what happens when humanity meets in certain moments. Theopoetics, which is her field, invites truth-telling and imagination. She looks forward to pushing the bounds of all that it can be. And she is indeed a theopoet uh, in her heart, uh, in her life. And I've asked her to begin by reading a short poem of hers, uh, which I've heard before, which is beautiful. And then we'll be off. Tommy. Thank you so much, Jay. So um, this poem is called Routines. Two things I must do every day. Drink more water and write more. Replenish 70% of myself and put worlds living inside my head in order. Return myself to myself. Expose myself to myself. Remember that water is life. Then give life to verbal offspring in hopes that grandchildren might explain to the world what manner of woman is part water, part word. 
Mm. Well, that is so, so beautiful. Um, when I first heard that poem, the whole idea that you would um, be part water was kind of gorgeous. Mm. And uh, part of my own perspective, a process perspective, is that our lives are are made of a whole lot of things. Mm. And a lot of them are human, but a lot of them are not. Yeah. And we wouldn't be without so much, water much included. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, can you say a word just about your spiritual grounding, where you come from, um, please? Yeah, absolutely. So, Jay, I'm, I'm kind of a, a hybrid and a floater. So um, I say I'm, I'm a hybrid in terms of I, I do have um, backgrounds within the church, specifically within the Black church. Um, that's a huge part of my upbringing. But I'm also, uh, I was also one of those kids, one of those young adults, one of those older adults now, who um, always privileged my questions um, alongside what I was learning about the faith in real time. So, I mean, the black church taught me a number of things, but I also kept my questions in front of me as well. Um, Kept my um, moments of resistance in front of me as well. Um, Didn't think those wrong or sinful or a sign that I was weak in the flesh, but saw those as a sign that um, this was God kind of sharpening who I was as a Christian. Mm-hmm. So um, I, 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 I kind of I kinda kept both things in balance, that, that grounding within the formal church setting, um, but also just, the, just who I was. I kept that in the front as well. So um, within the Black church, I uh, spent a significant portion of my childhood um, kind of growing up within the Black church. Um, I learned a lot of who I am um, in the Black church. Um, so I am Nigerian-American. Um, a lot of people mistakenly call me African-American. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's not quite the case. I'm Nigerian-American. Um, I was born in Nigeria, came over with my family when, family when I was really young. So I, in many ways, I joke, I cannot become president of the United States because I was not born here. Um, but uh, a lot of my Nigerian background um, is actually a huge part in terms of kind of sharpening uh, my identity as a uh, Black person. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as a Black American, the Black church was also a huge part as well. Um, it taught me a number of things. It taught me about history in this country, um, around uh, how slave religion evolved into this boundless, um, I don't even know what to call it, miracle <laughs> that is the Black church that still persists today. Um, it taught me that um, it reminded me of my Africanness in a number of ways. Uh, a number of people in the Black church um, saw my name and, and thought, ah, okay, she's home. So I'm gonna ask her a lot of questions. I wanna see if I can figure out how to, to grab home a little bit more. So I kind of served as a bridge um, in that way as well, whether, I was, whether intentionally or not. Um, so the Black church taught me a lot about my identity, um, but especially what it means to be Black as I am Black in this country. Uh, can you say just a little bit more about them seeing you and saying she's home. How did that feel to you? Was that uh, wonderful? Was that threatening? And what what how what was your response to that? Sure. I mean, in many ways, I'm still like processing and figuring out what does that mean. Um, I, I don't think 
um, I can I can say it is this one thing or it's that one thing. Um, I think it's a number of things. Um, in terms of how I felt about it, uh, I, I always just feel really amused. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I I'm in many identity, so I find it really interesting that others uh, think that asking me questions or um, uh, asking me about my food or asking me about how to say this word or that word or asking me about music. I, I find it really interesting that um, they kind of see that I'm able to kind of do that bridge work, even though I'm still kind of doing the fleshing out work of who I am within myself. Um, so, I mean, it's, it was, it's not threatening. Um, it's just uh, the, the best word I can come up for it is um, it's, it's curious. It's interesting. Um, but it's also extremely understandable. Um, if you have somebody who connects you to this land that your ancestors were stolen from, who's sitting right in front of you, who can tell you something about who you might be, then you'd be interested. The problem is, I can't quite tell you who you might be. I can tell you who I am. I can tell you where our resonances are. Um, I can tell you about the questions that I still hold. And from there, maybe you can find a sense of of camaraderie, uh, maybe find a sense of... um, feeling like you're able to kind of touch um, home a bit more. But I, I, I can't quite do it on my own, um, but I'm happy to, to share in communal moments that might inspire that for somebody else. You know, a, a feature of, of your poem and also what you just said uh, reminds me of a, of, a, of a saying of Whitehead's that a lot of people don't like. Um, a lot of, um, so many uh, process people are, are white and they have, they take the problem as being, um, having too much of an ego and they take the solution as discovering relationality and discovering, discovering connections. But White had said something that, sometimes they don't want to hear it's that a religion is what a person does with her solitariness or his solitariness. And you you can understand why they don't want to hear that because they want to hear the gospel of connectedness, relationality, etc. What I hear in, in your own spirituality actually is a solitary side as well as a relational side. Absolutely. A side that's discovering, um, who you are or are becoming. And that's an individual thing. And so I just want to say Whitehead's on your side. (laughs) Well, I will say I'm not a process theologian. At best, I'm a theopoet. But I I mean, I, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like a similar parallel as um, kind of uh, rest being a part of your productive work. That, that thing that you think isn't the thing is a huge part of the larger thing. So um, questions, inquiries, explorations into um, just my personal life, kind of sitting with myself, sitting with what my life means, what it's showing me, um, what it has yet to show me. Um, all these things, I think, are part of how I can be myself when I be, uh, best be myself. Um, with other people, best be myself communally. Um, I think the really, the really good thing about not running away from yourself, I've learned, um, is that 
you bring forth questions and ideas that other people have been wondering, but have been too afraid to kind of name. And they see that, um, okay, it's, it's not a scary thing to sit with yourself, but it's something that can help you uh, be better, be truer, um, be uh, more whole while you're in community. Um, I, I have no idea what we're bringing to community if it's not ourselves. So if we don't know ourselves well, and if we're not really honest in our even relationship with ourselves, um, I don't know how honest we're being in community as well. To me, they're deeply intertwined, um, deeply interconnected. To be a good person in community, you have to be a good person. You have to know yourself. Um, I want to talk um, about the spirit uh, in, in just a moment. I want to say something uh, in response to what you just said that, again, I learned from, and then let's turn to the spirit. Actually, we can turn now because uh, in, in the process world, uh, the spirit is really quite important. And the spirit is understood as inside us, but also more than us. And one of the ways the spirit is present, one of the ways is as a kind of beckoning, a kind of, the, the language they use is lure, a lure. But you remind me, or and you remind me, that part of that lure coming from the spirit, coming from God, is a lure to self-understanding. Mm -hmm. uh, and also a lure to be curious, mm -hmm. a lure to be honest, yeah. a lure to quest. Yeah, yeah. And so um, I just kind of want to say thanks for bringing out that side of the spirit and speaking of the spirit. <laughs> Would you say a word about the role the spirit played for you? Um, as a young girl and the role in the church and, and where the spirit is for you now? Yeah, the, the, the thing I call curiosity, the thing I call questioning and inquiry, um, to me, I think was first and foremost kind of uh, a pushing uh, forth mm. forward of the spirit for me. Um, that's who I call the spirit in my life. Um, the one that um, gives me permission to question, the one that gives me permission to ask why, to ask what more exists there, um, to ask um, what haven't we seen yet that we're getting in the way of. That to me, those are all voices and inklings of the spirit. I, I learned of the spirit, I, I got language of the spirit within the black church. Um, I grew up in a Pentecostal church um, that was, uh, well, one, led by you know, women, which I learned later was not normal. But for me, I'm so glad I got it because it, it, it led me to believe, oh, women are doing this. So we do everything and we teach and we preach and we, we do all of it. Um, but I got language of, of, of the spirit from the black church, um, uh, a static worship, um, uh, fervent preaching, um, prophetic utterance. Uh, th those kind of practices um, for me um, became quite normal. And that the kind of kind of witnessing those moments um, within that church community and then kind of always sitting with myself and uh, just kind of learning what to call these promptings, these curiosities led me to say, oh, when I have a thought or when I'm led in a certain direction, that's the spirit. Um, church taught me that. And church taught me that um, the spirit is always a good thing. And the spirit is, spirit is always moving. Uh, she's always fluid. Um, she's fire and she's water and she's wind. Um, she's, she's this thing that's um, uncapturable. Um, this thing that will show up when she will, 
and that will inspire as she will. And so when I was able to kind of sit with uh, those kind of characteristics and, and means of speaking of the spirit um, and, and sit with how ideas, um, especially life-giving ideas, how they came to me, I was able to kind of put two and two together. And at least for me personally, um, I call that movement uh, the spirit. Well, you can uh, probably well anticipate that when you that when you speak of spirit as movement, um, that sounds good to these process ears. Um, <laughs> you know, we we too think that whoever, whatever, wherever spirit is, it's in motion, and we're in motion too. Uh, you mentioned that the spirit, that the black church and the spirit were connected with ecstatic speech. Uh, ecstatic experience, but that includes ecstatic speech. Uh, does that play a role in, in your understanding of, of poetry on the one hand and words on the other? What are words for you? Yeah. What are words? Yeah, thank you for that question. Um, words, especially my poetic words, um, come to me by the spirit. <laughs> I firmly believe this. Um, I'm an academic and a lot of people are like, no, academics aren't supposed to say that. We're supposed to say, I thought of this and I came up with this and maybe, but probably not. <laughs> I'm totally okay with saying that um, the, 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 the work that I put forth um, are co a combination of me kind of sitting with ideas, but they're inspired by the spirit. I have no doubt that a lot of my poetry, um, I, I have a dog who makes me walk every morning. And it is when I'm walking that I get so many ideas for uh, articles and, but mainly for poetry. I've written poems while on a walk, you know, on my phone. And I call that, that inspiration, that, that, kind, that thing that kind of hits me with deep clarity, I call that the Holy Spirit. So the Holy Spirit for me, um, Yes, I, I got the language of what to call her in church, but she meets me everywhere. She meets me in my scholarship um, in many ways. Scholarship. Uh, I, I have a problem saying that um, I am a scholar who is open to and often led by the movement of the Holy Spirit. Well, I say you keep saying that. <laughs> <laughs> that makes good sense to me. Um, uh, a little more on the poetry, you know, sometimes you hear poets saying uh, the poem writes itself and I'm a vessel for that. Uh, but then you can also hear somebody saying, well, it, the poem does speak even before I, I write it, but I need to cooperate with the speaking in some way. So uh, which would you be more comfortable with? I'll, uh, oh, the poem writes itself and I'm but a vessel or the poem speaks and I respond and we create it. We, we give birth together. Which, which sounds better to you? Oh, I've had moments of both. Um, uh -huh. I've had moments, Jay, where the whole poem comes and I have no idea where it came from. That happens a lot. Um, I have uh, moments where I get a word and I'm like, this is a really important word, or I get a phrase. And I think, oh, this is such a curious phrase. Where did it come from? But I'm sure it can link up with something. So I sit with it. And I find the thing that it's supposed to match up with, and then it becomes a bigger thing. So I, I've had um, both of those kind of moments, both of those experiences, um, where the spirit just kind of says, write it down. And I stop on my walk, and I write it on my phone right then and there. I know I've gotten a lot of people staring at me. Why is she on her phone on that corner? 
but I want to get things down. Um, and I've had plenty of moments, um, as evidenced in a lot of the drafts in my email, where you can see beginnings of lines or you can see ideas um, that came from outside of me, but that are still there for me to work with in the future. So I, I kind of work in, in both um, type of mediums in many ways, in terms of poetry, at least. Right. Well, yes. Um, so if we could turn for a second to music. Oh, no. Before we turn there. Now, you've been referring to the spirit as she. Um, yes. And I, I love that, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering if that has some connection with, among other things, the role that women played uh, in the black church. You mentioned that, that the women were leaders. Do you want to say anything about what led you to feel so natural in referring to the spirit as she? Um, yeah, that's my question. Yeah, yeah. Um, in many ways, I'd, I'd have to, my first answer would actually have to be theology. <laughs> um, uh, especially kind of thinking with African women's theology, um, learning that African women are fine with calling God male because um, there's an assumption that paired with male is female. So when you're saying male, you're actually saying male, female. So kind of think them together. Um, African women um, also believe that, that Jesus is male, but he had a lot of, of feminist characteristics within his his ministry as well so a lot of african women see jesus as an african woman in many ways just how he acted in the world resembles what african women would do so there's this interesting pairing where the genders are not really separated so when i'm when i'm you know in theology you're hearing okay god is predominantly spoken of as male uh, jesus is spoken of as male well women have to be there too so of course the, the, the Holy Spirit is female. And then there's, you know, there is um, uh, scholarship that kind of backs up. I, I, I don't do Hebrew, but there is scholarship that kind of backs up the language of the Holy Spirit kind of operating more in the feminine. Uh, so for me, theology was kind of that place where um, I learned, well, I mean, that's just, I, I just kind of assumed <laughs> that's, that's what she must be. Um, well, especially just to be um, incapturable, to be fluid. Um, to be the thing that inspires. Um, uh, to me, that reminds me of the feminine. So theology was kind of that first place where yeah. I, I started thinking, oh yeah, she has to be <laughs> a she. <laughs> I got you. Yeah. Um, I grew up uh, around rivers myself. And one thing I loved about rivers was that you couldn't grab them. You could float in them. Yeah. But you couldn't grab the water. You couldn't contain the water. Yeah. Uh, the water was fluid. Yeah. And, and therefore, it was uncapturable, mm. uh, uninframable, uh, even with our minds. There's something about it ca that cannot be put into a frame. And uh, for me, that's always been a good cautionary note to, um, to myself as a process theologian. I sometimes worry that we have thought there was too much of God that's containable. <laughs> Too much of the spirit that's containable. So I really appreciate your emphasizing the uninframability, un uncontainability uh, of, of the spirit. Uh, let's go to music. Uh, if you'd say a word about music and the role it's played. Oh, music. Um, I, I love music. It's one of it's 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 in that in that rest is part of your you know productivity type of category. Um, doing uh, creative work, doing art mm -hmm. is part of my scholarship. 
Uh, I can't do scholarship well unless I'm, I'm also involved in art in many ways. Um, music for me um, has been a big thing ever since I was a child. Uh, again, within the black church, huge place, <laughs> kind of where I learned about what music means, what it does, um, the, how music is a medium and a message in itself, um, how music uh, matters based on your culture, how it sends cultural signals, how it sends, uh, how it speaks spiritual messages, all those things. Music um, uh, is one of those incapturable things. <laughs> um, it's this thing where um, the spirit can move and live, but also where um, we can cooperate with the spirit to um, create something um, timeless, classic. Um, yeah, for, for me, music um, is, is a, a deeply uh, spiritual medium and a, and a deeply spiritual endeavor. So, uh, what kind of music do you, do you naturally listen to uh, just in the course of a day? So, in, in, in the past 24 hours or 48 hours, if you want, uh, what, have you been, what have you listened to? Yeah, so, so the genres that I love the best, I, I you know, born in mid-80s, um, so I grew up with 90s music kind of mm. being huge part of who I am, early 2000s music. Uh, you, you know, when uh, people say um, you're most impressionable when you're a child. Mm -hmm. So everything, um, music, movies, those are the kind of the things that you're gonna remember most even into adulthood. Uh, for me, so 90s music, 90s R&B music, um, uh, neo soul music, rap, hip hop, um, those are kind of the four biggest genres for me um, that uh, inspired me then. And uh, Jay, I, I I have a playlist called Do Theology, where it's all 90s music and 2000 music, because that's kind of the music um, that inspired me most um, when I was you know, at that most susceptible age, um, but also inspires really good memories. Now, I will tell you how I listen to music. Um, I am uh, like an instrumental listener. So I, I hear, uh, it depends. Sometimes I'll hear a beat first and I'll think, oh, that's really interesting. I want to invest my hearing in this, in this song. Um, sometimes I'll hear a melody or a harmony and I listen to that. Um, so Jay, I will probably, it'll probably take me three or four listens to even start listening to a word, the words mm -hmm. of music. Um, I listen to like the cadence of words mm -hmm. and like what's all happening. But I, I listen to everything about the song first. Mm -hmm. And then I actually got, kind of get into the lyrics and, okay, what's the message about? Okay, is this a good message? Is it a silly message? Um, but it doesn't matter. What hits me first is, is uh, the character of the song, the character of the music. Um, that draws me in and then I'll learn the lyrics later. But that's the thing that um, resonates with me, resonates with my soul. Um, and that's the thing that kind of um, inspires uh, theological creativity within me. Oh, let me... Um... I'm like you. Uh, I'm I'm a sound guy, yeah. And I I like sound and and the sounds. Um, I knew a jazz musician, and I once and who who you know did a lot of created a lot of music, never with words. And, and I said, well, now what uh, what do you hear in 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 the sounds that you create and enjoy? And he said, a harmony, melody, percussion, and soulfulness. And he said, those are the kind of four lenses I bring to what I listen to. And I was so curious about soulfulness, you know, and I didn't ask him to explain further, but he said, you can hear 
music that contains soulfulness and there are varying degrees of soulfulness and it, and it can lack the soulfulness. Absolutely. And you're just kind of intuitive. But all the while he was talking about without words. The, the, you know, it can have good lyrics too. But he's talking about the sound. And uh, I myself, as a, as a process thinker, think that music is what feelings sound like. Mm. And um, in the world of process thought, feelings actually everywhere. It's in the hills, the rivers, the trees, the stars, us. What we call energy, what the scientist calls energy, uh, the process person calls feeling. But what does it sound like? Uh, I think it sounds like sound. <laughs> sounds like music. Now, on your, 90, on your two theology playlist, I just have to ask, can you name some of the songs? <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, it's so long. It's, it's hours long. I mean, so there's, there's a little bit of everything. Um, oh, of course, now I'm blanking. <laughs> oh, that's okay. That's okay. But is there, some, is there some rhythm and blues? You said hip-hop, rhythm and blues, yeah, rap. No, absolutely. Uh, I have Erica Badu. I have Jill Scott. I have um, Beyonce, I have Pharrell, I have Missy Elliott. Um, yeah, I have, I have um, Stromae, who's a, a Belgian French rapper. Um, I, have, I have everyone um, whose music I love <laughs> that um, at one point inspired me. What usually happens is I, I'm like, I'm listening to a song and, and I'm like, oh, like I feel something. It connected to something in me that kind of helps the writing flow. And I say, that belongs on the playlist. So I put it up there. Because I'm, I'm, I'm interested in, okay, if it inspired that moment then, then there's a possibility that it'll inspire that moment again. But Jay, I have, I have everything <laughs> across the board. I have rapper, yeah. singers, neo soul singers, uh, alternative R&B, mm. um, I have a little bit of, I mean, Janelle Murnay, yeah. everybody. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, do you, uh, do you sing yourself, or you, do you do you do you produce music too? <laughs> I do, I do. Um, I am. Uh, I mean, I'm currently kind of open and interested to to what kind of creative me medium is going to flow through me. Mm -hmm. uh, but I've, I've, there was a time period of oh, about five years, Jay, um, where I was doing nothing but like writing music every day, and I mean, it's not the best, but. Yeah. It's, I like it, <laughs> and that's what matters, you know? Um, I, 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 I'm not creating, I, I heard a musical artist say, like, they don't create the music for their audience, they create the music for themselves. And if their mm -hmm. audience resonates with it, then that's a bonus, you know? Mm -hmm. um, so I create the music for myself. I create the music because something needs to come out. Um, and so I take the time and I, I sit in the process. Mm -hmm. of what it takes for something to come forth that wasn't there before. I think mm -hmm. that's, the, that's the joy and, and my fascination with music. Like this song did not exist a couple hours ago. And all, and, and all of a sudden these sounds now exist in the world in this sequence. And if I do, if I do choose to share it, um, sometimes it resonates with somebody else. Like, wow, this thing that doesn't exist is now resonating in the heart of somebody else. Like that's so, that's so miraculous. Yeah, that's that is really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, shared, shared feeling. That's so... Mm -hmm. I'll have to add my little process note. You have to forgive me for this. Oh, but for it. It, it's really the idea that... Uh, uh, Whitehead called it a vector transfer of feeling. That was his phrase. And so if I have a feeling, 
imagine a vector which transfers my feeling to you or the other way around. And I wonder if music doesn't function as an occasion for a vector transfer of feeling, uh, where the feelings of one are actually felt by another and, and the other way around. Now, when you created your music, uh, tell me, did you play piano or did you play an instrument that, how, did, how, did, how, did, how do you hear it yourself? Oh, uh, in terms of like how the music comes forth? Well, no, I mean, I mean, the sound itself, did you produce the sound? Was it with your voice or a musical instrument or, or both? Yeah. So, so I play <laughs> uh, piano in so much as I got to get the sound that's in my head yeah. out into, you know, uh, you know, onto the screen so I can kind of continue adding to it. Um, but yeah, I, I, I only know how to, uh, as much as possible, kind of mimic the initial sounds that kind of came to me as an idea. And then I build off of that. Now, of course, that kind of leads to, you know, moments of experimentation where I kind of add in other sounds, add in other things, um, add in my voice as well. Um, I, I do sing. Um, but yeah, it, it starts off as a sound. And, and my, my first task is to make sure I capture it as closely as possible so I can continue to build off of it. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's, uh, thank you. Uh, so as we, as we move to uh, kind of a close to this, um, I'd like to know kind of two questions and take your pick, take one or the other or both. But you may have noticed that we live in a pretty troubled time. Uh, and we live in a divided nation. Um, we happen to be conversing in a time of a pandemic and Black Lives Matter and all kinds of things that make people um, wonder what can come next. Uh, do you carry within yourself a kind of social aspiration of um, this can come next, I think, if we get our act together? Is there a social hope that um, inspires you or is it our discouragement, pure and simple, or both? Mm. Tell us a little bit about the, how the state of the world looks to you. Yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for your question, Jay. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll answer that in two ways. Um, there's, uh, uh, there's discouragement and there's hope. Uh, I'll name the discouragement first. Um, I'm discouraged by the fact that though we are, at least in my theological imagination, beings created from God's care, um, created to demonstrate care towards one another, towards creation. Um, I think a number of people have lost that, um, that sensibility of care. Um, I think a number of people, um, I call this, they care in the wrong direction. Um, they care inwardly, they care about their own. Um, and in caring about themselves and caring about their own, um, they miss the opportunity to, um, to live into their humanity and to care for creation at large. Um, I, I think that's expressed in racism. I think that's expressed in sexism, um, patriarchy, um, misogyny, transphobia, homophobia, xenophobia. Um, it's expressed in all these, it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's care in the wrong direction. Um, uh, it's, and, and it's caring about things like fear as opposed to caring about things like people and things like creation. Um, so that, that's kind of the discouraging message. I'm seeing um, 
un unfortunately how prevalent um, that kind of position is in the world. Um, but there's also, there's also hope. Um, you're also seeing um, people live into care in the right ways. People live into care um, beyond themselves. Um, you see, um, I've, I've been encouraged and I wanna keep encouraging a lot of white people to continue to see that this is a problem that's existed forever um, uh, in terms of, 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 of racism being a huge problem. Um, it's, it's, it's a problem that's existed forever. White supremacy is a problem that's, that's existed forever. And a lot of people are now starting to see it and they're wanting to figure out how to be differently. Not just do different things, but to be a different person. Um, I'm encouraged by that. Um, and I, and I want to see it continue. I want to see it continue past the news cycles. I want to see it continue in people's lifelong work, whether it's in their scholarship, in their churches, in their everyday lives. Um, I'm encouraged that, um, uh, to quote um, uh, James Howard Hill, who's also another Theo poet over at Northwestern, um, a better world has to be built. And I think um, it, requires, it requires deep imagination, um, but that imagination also requires an undoing of whiteness. And I think once people kind of look around in their lives and see how, how much whiteness has permeated it, um, they have a choice. Do you allow a good portion of your identity to be undone so you can live into a different type of being in order to help build a different world? Or do you say, I'm just gonna care inwardly and I'm gonna care in the wrong direction and preserve this thing that is probably destroying you in the process? Uh, those are kind of my, the, the, the two things I'm seeing. Um, whiteness um, is in many ways a spiritual condition um, that a lot of people are not interested in being healed from. Um, but I'm also seeing that there are people who are interested and who are willing to do the work and willing to join the people, people, Black people, Indigenous peoples, um, Asian, Asian American peoples, Latino X peoples, um, who have been doing the work. So there is a world and it's, it's encouraging to see there are more people um, kind of stepping into that realm of belief. Would you say a little bit more about undoing whiteness? Um, yeah, <laughs> In, anything you want to say is fine. Make it spiritually, psychologically, socially, at whatever level, in whatever way. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, undoing whiteness, it's a lifelong process. It's a lifelong process. Um, I, I think if, if people understand that um, like throughout our lives, we've been getting messages from whiteness, whether you're white or not, we've all been getting messages about what whiteness is, what it does, um, what it means for our personhood, whether it's good or bad, um, then we have to understand it's gonna take the rest of our lives <laughs> to start kind of stepping away from those lessons and those mentalities and those legacies, if we're honest. Um, but how do you undo those legacies? Um, you listen to people who say abolish the police and you, you use your imagination. Um, so imagination in the wrong direction is fear. Because fear, if we're 100% honest, fear um, comes from imagination. But if we imagine in the right direction, if we imagine towards um, building something, if we imagine towards um, hope, if we imagine towards recognizing people fully and equally, then we have to start thinking, okay, we've never seen a world without police as, as, you know, in our lifetimes. So, okay, can we imagine? Do we have the, the, the emotional space? 
to imagine something different. Um, mm. I think undoing whiteness requires an extremely high level of emotional intelligence. Um, I think people have to be willing to build that up. Um, I think people have to be willing to, you know, definitely do the work of um, um, dismantling things within your life, like um, racist language, um, you know, not speaking up at work when, when microaggressions are happening, things of that sort, um, you know, uh, voting in a particular direction, um, showing up to town hall meetings, putting your body there, like all those, all these things need to exist. Um, but we can't ask people to do things until they understand emotionally what these things even mean. So I think undoing whiteness is going to require a lot of, a lot of education, <laughs> a lot of education, not just anti-racism, post-colonial work, um, black studies, critical race studies, um, these, all these other avenues and genres that have always existed before the anti-racism, you know, boom. Um, I think people need to invest in those areas of study. They need to understand um, and, and learn how to identify, um, first of all, what the problem is, and then also kind of ask, okay, where has it lived in my life? And what are the things I can start doing to undo them? And then they have to ask the question, when I have moments of resistance, why do I have those moments of resistance? Um, what is that saying about me? Not necessarily, okay, I'm a bad person, not that necessarily, but um, what have I been taught that's kind of being rattled in this moment where I'm, I'm pushing back against this thing that I know is ultimately a good thing? Mm -hmm. So undoing whiteness requires a lot of things. Emotional intelligence, it requires presence, it requires education, it requires action, um, and a lot of it's going to have to come from, from white people. Joining in with, you know, the people of uh, of black people, indigenous persons, et cetera, um, who've been already trying to do this work um, throughout their lives as well. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, in terms of growing in emotional intelligence, I wonder what role um, prayer mm. plays, mm. art plays, mm. music plays, because you have to find a place inside you that can look and see without being reactive. Mm -hmm. And ordinarily, you know, we don't live our days like that. Uh, so much of a, of a day is perpetual reactivity. So I just wonder, do you, do, do you think that spiritual practices, spiritual disciplines uh, of any kind can play a role in in growing into the uh, process of undoing whiteness? Yes. Um, one thing about spirituality that I caution against is that I've seen a lot of white churches run to spirituality as a means of not being held accountable for um, their role, whether it's intentional or not, and how whiteness has permeated every aspect of our being. Um, so yes, spiritual practices can be huge for sure, but spiritual practices only work when you understand, um, so we all like enemies, we all like antagonists, we all like to be the protagonist to have, and have an antagonist. Mm -hmm. We have to remember that the antagonist is, is for many of us gonna be living inside of us. We're not the hero, we're the antagonist. We're not the one um, asking God for justice, we're the ones that God's going to do justice to, to have justice done to, to us, if that makes sense. 
So I think if we're, if we're going to enter into conversations of spirituality, we have to first understand, you know what? I've been trafficking in evil. I think a lot of people are not willing to say that. And I think emotional intelligence requires people to sit and say, you know what? I might be on the wrong side of this. It doesn't mean that I'm not redeemable, but it means that I have to be honest and name where I am in this equation to even know what to ask for in terms of my spiritual direction. So again, a lot of, a lot of churches say, uh, use kind of spirituality as a strange cover um, to not be held accountable. But spirituality, if it's done well, actually holds the evil accountable. It actually um, calls forth righteousness in ways um, that some people might be on the wrong side of. Again, it doesn't mean they will be destroyed, but it means that there needs to be some honesty and there needs to be some recognition and there needs to, um, there needs to be a genuine relationship to spirituality um, where it's not necessarily a tool to kind of diminish the things that people don't want to deal with, but it's, it's actually used as a way to confront and face our humanity, whether we've, we've exercised it in a positive way or in a harmful way. I think a lot of people have exercised their humanity in a really harmful way. And spirituality is not what they think it's going to be. Spirituality is them being held accountable, being corrected, um, justice being done to them. In, in, at the Cobb Institute, where I'm involved, we've been developing an understanding of spirituality uh, as one of the things that we do. And we made a little list of the qualities of heart and mind that we take to be you know, part of a, a vital spiritual life. Um, I helped make, create that little list, and I was influenced by some folks that came up with a, an interface spiritual alphabet. And I won't go through the alphabet. Well, I'll, I'll name a few. A was for attention. B was for beauty. C was for compassion. Um, I was for imagination. J was for justice. S was for silence, but S was also for shadow. In understanding, owning, acknowledging, sitting with, being honest about uh, the shadow side of of, of your life individually and collectively. Mm. And that's what I think that's really, really important to my mind in, in light of what you've just said. Yeah. Uh, no need just for mindfulness in the present moment. Mm. <laughs> Deep need for also um, owning the shadow and acknowledging the shadow as a form of spirituality in its own right. I wonder if, if the spirit, as you understand her, uh, you know, it's often said Jesus comforts the afflicted and afflicts the comfortable. Uh, I wonder if the spirit can afflict the comfortable. Um, um, I think from what you say, the answer to that is, well, yes. <laughs> but do you want to say a word about that side of the spirit as you understand, Sam? Absolutely. I think the spirit is moving in Black Lives Matter. Mm -hmm. Um, so I think if that message is um, resonating in people, if it's doing some changing work within people, that's the movement of the spirit. If it's causing um, resistance and hate, um, that's resisting the spirit. But I think, um, I mean, the spirit, the spirit is, is, is in many ways like the winds of justice. So the civil rights um, uh, 
movement as well. Spirit filled, spirit led. Um, like, yes, there are people in these movements and they're not perfect and they're making mistakes, sure. But the, the overall spirit of the movement is the Holy Spirit. So mm. um, I think the Spirit's um, role in, in the current moment um, are in these justice movements. Kind of where you land or what side you land on in these justice movements. You're either following the Spirit or you're, the or you're resisting the Spirit. Whether mm. you say Jesus' name or not, you're either following or resisting the Spirit. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tommy, this is the, um, we can bring it to a close. And I want you to know that this has been a great interview and oh, you've wonderful. been so good to be with. Um, let's end on, the, on this question. Can I throw um, in one more thing before, before we get the last question? Mm -hmm. I just want to name. Um, so I said I'm not a process theologian, uh, more of a theopoet. Um, mm -hmm. but, but I want to name. Um, I, I think it's really important for us to start doing within our work, whether it's virtual, whether it's written, um, to name that. Um, there are many dynamics that we need to work on within areas of academia and, and, and scholarship as well. Mm -hmm. um, you said, you know, process the audio, you know, it's very white in many ways. Mm -hmm. um, I, I, I don't think that's a comment in passing, you know, I think that's actually something that, that needs to be interrogated um, mm -hmm. quite seriously. Um, mm -hmm. I'm in geopoetics, um, but I'm also, I, I, I'm working on a book project um, because there are are no theopoetic anthologies that feature a significant amount of scholars of color, um, which is a bit absurd. <laughs> um, but it's something that we shouldn't rush past, but kind of sit with. Um, what does it mean that theopoetics is mainly um, kind of run by process um, uh, persons, uh, persons with liberal theology backgrounds, um, as well as persons in, um, uh, what is it, philosophical, um, what is, uh, I'm forgetting the, the third genre. Um, philosophy, <laughs> essentially. Oh, oh yeah, that. <laughs> there's a there's a branch of of, of philosophical thought um, that uh, oh, it's going well, to come. Philosophical theology, philosophical theology. There's um, it's just, it's on the tip of my tongue. Essentially, there are these um, academic trains of thought that are mm -hmm. you know, dominated by white voices. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. They are the primary spokespersons for what theopoetics is. Mm -hmm. um, but you know the fact that um, they haven't found ways to invite mm -hmm. uh, scholars from marginal communities into these disciplines is, is showing that um, there's a lot of work that needs to be done in academia as well. Um, a, a lot of times we, academics can, can serve as a space to kind of reflect on um, and share really thoughtful ideas. Um, but even in that practice, um, there are racial dynamics and there are gender mm -hmm. dynamics that need to be called out, um, mm -hmm. that need to be um, corrected. Mm -hmm. So um, I, I just want to name, um, even within the discourse that I claim, theopoetics, there's mm -hmm. a lot of work that, that needs to be done. I've, I've, um, I've experienced resistance and rejection from people who don't know where to put my liberationist form and decolonial form of theopoetics. Um, in the conversation. Um, and I, I'd, I'd, I'd love people to, to um, keep in mind that they don't get to control um, who gets to speak from what um, kind of corner of the scholastic world. Um, we all exist in this world. And I think, um, you know, one practice of being anti-racist in academia um, is calling out when gatekeeping is happening 
but also actively working to ensure that that's not what the discipline is known for. So that was, that was one thing I wanted to, to name and make mention of, because sometimes academics, we could say, oh, all of that's happening in the world of politics, or that world, that's happening over there. But no, it's happening with, with what we're doing as well. Mm-hmm. Well, I just think you're right. And I, and I think that um, my mentioning that process theology is very white in passing. <laughs> so now let us move on to another subject. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that, that's, that's not right. And I do hope that people listen to you and to this part of the interview uh, to hear exactly what you just said. May that be. May that be. So to bring it to a close, you're in process too. <laughs> and there's some things that, that you are becoming. Sure. Um, yeah. And so just the last question uh, is, uh, what excites you? Mm. When you think about the best future, the, the most vital future uh, for you, uh, what excites you? Mm. Uh, uh, in general, scholastically, or are you hoping? Uh, how, existentially, how existentially, as a human being, as a human being, <laughs> as a person. Yeah, it, oh. but it can be it can be academic if if you want to answer that. That's fine. But I just mean, what's the pulling presence that that that's the um, the flame that guides you now that you're moving toward as best you can? Um, so I, I would say two things. Um, the future generations um, have perspective that I think is going to be incredibly important, um, critical <laughs> in terms of shifting um, what life as we know it can be. Um, I'm, I'm incredibly hopeful for future generations. Um, I think they're curious. I think they're hungry. Um, I think, I mean, unfortunately, they're in the middle of a number of unfortunate events. Um, the, 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 the silver lining in some ways is that in going through all these traumatic events, school shootings, um, uh, political process, um, environmental um, denigration, um, they're learning about what is supposed to be and they're working towards what is supposed to be so Mm -hmm. i'm extremely hopeful um, Mm -hmm. for future generations Um, uh, in terms of my work um, the the thing that that just uh, keeps me going keeps me alive um, is that we all in all my classes which is probably what i'm not supposed to do (laughs) i i kind of name three things as um, important to to everything we do, including being human, um, recognition. Um, we all have the opportunity to recognize one another in really life-giving ways. We have an opportunity to recognize what is true about the world, um, recognize what is true about the earth, um, and to, to care. Care is a huge thing um, that I try to think through. What do we care about? Why do we care? Um, what does care say about how we are being human, how we are created? Um, we have multiple opportunities to care. And, and I've been deeply encouraged by seeing people, even amidst the pandemic, practice care in really life-giving ways. 
Um, and then we have, a, we have an opportunity to, to kind of understand um, one another. Um, understanding, I kind of uh, frame it as um, kind of care gives us perspective and understanding is um, the practice of what we do with that care. So we have, a, we have multiple <laughs> opportunities to, to be different in this world, to be better in this world. And in that way, the world will, I believe at least, um, reflect who we are and how we are in the world and the world will ultimately be better as well. So um, we have a chance to recognize, to care, to understand, and to ultimately be the best version of ourselves that we can be. Uh, that excites me too. <laughs> and, and, but to hear you say it um, is even more exciting. So. You say it beautifully. Uh, this has been a great opportunity to, to, to be with you. Thank you so much. And Thank you. Let us peer into the mark, heart and mind, uh, your own heart and mind. So thanks so much. And yeah. um, I'll see you again sometime. All right. Yeah. Wonderful. All Thank right. you so much. Take care. Bye-bye. Conversations in Process is a co-production of the Cobb Institute and Open Horizons. If you'd like to support this podcast and help us realize our aim to advance wisdom, harmony, and the common good, please consider making a donation by visiting cob.institute. That's cob.institute and clicking on the donate button.